Welcome to New Mexico Black Rifle Operators Union. I'm your host, Sean. So there's a couple stories that I wanted to hit tonight. One of them, which is kind of an old story, it keeps coming up. And, you know, I think a lot of us ANCAP people and a lot of us on the 2A are always kind of worried about the UN and them coming to take our guns and the treaty that has been going around since like 2012 or 2015 is now making rounds again. And what the treaty that I'm talking about specifically is they're trying, it's a small arms treaty. It's a limitation on small arms. And what is going on in the international community is they're trying to stop um, private gun ownership. And there was a point in time during the Biden administration, or not the Biden, uh, the Obama administration, that they signed on with it. And what's scary about it is that they're basically saying that they're coming for your guns, that you have to register them, um, that you have to have only certain amounts that you can have for firearms. What has to happen, though, because Trump unsigned it, um, or signed off that he wasn't going to be on it, is any treaty that has to come out for international law has to go before the House and the Senate and has to be ratified. Um, I don't see there being enough cohesion, but there's enough turncoats, you know, that there always is in our community that we have to be careful of this, but I don't see this being a big deal yet. Um, what is concerning, um, another story, is because Tennessee is a very red state with a very red governor, they've cited together to uh, call a special session and it looks like there's going to be bipartisan uh, support for red flag laws. Now, red flag laws were one of those things that I was always kind of up in the air about, but after living under them, I see no point in them in that they're not very good for anyone. Um, specifically, if you're pro-2A, the biggest thing you have to worry about is someone who's a bad actor, uh, an ex-girlfriend, an ex-husband, an ex-neighbor, somebody who doesn't like you but knows you likes guns. They can basically push to have your guns taken away by saying you're a nutcase. And then you're stuck with the, the bill to go to court and fight that and prove that you're okay to have your guns back. Now, I never expected this to happen in Tennessee, but it does happen. It happened in New Mexico, uh, specifically after the shooting that I talk about all the time in, in Aztec. Um, that pushed it here. What have been the repercussions of that? And we're, you know, that happened in 2017, 2018 when that bill finally got done. What's happened? Well, crime's still going on. Um, we still had a mass shooting. Even in Farmington, we had a mass shooting. Um, it doesn't seem to have any effect on gun crime. And that leads me to the lead story for tonight. Um, from the Daily Mail, and this is, Amaland posted this, and I thought it was kind of an intriguing thing, that there is absolutely no correlation, let's, let's read this, no correlation to gun laws and gun violence, uh, says the report by the Daily Mail. Now, the Daily Mail is a little bit right of center. Um, the study published in JAMA, if you don't know what JAMA is, this is a medical journal. Network opens, and it replies that, that relies on data for gun violence archives on databases often criticized by our side. Um, this work was done by the researchers at the University of Colorado, Leslie M. Bernard, uh, MPH, Department of Epidemiology for Colorado School of Public Health, uh, and so on and so on from Colorado, and it doesn't matter. The report basically says the rate of mass shootings per one million people was highest in the District of Columbia. 
If you are not familiar, the District of Columbia has the most restrictive gun laws on planet Earth. You cannot own a firearm there without special permission. Um, there aren't even allowed to be gun stores, to my understanding, there. You are not allowed to have one there. It is, uh, if you are a lawmaker, you're allowed to have your gun there because you're given special dispensation for being able to defend yourself. But what's interesting is the next cities that are the next states that follow are Louisiana and Illinois, and then followed by Mississippi. So if you just take the top four, what you're seeing is that Illinois and Washington, D.C. have the worst um, gun laws on planet Earth. Uh, what I mean, the most restrictive. You cannot own guns there without jumping through major hoops. And what they found is these four cities or four states led the union for the highest mass shooting rates. Now, to define what mass shooting means is that you've killed or you've shot and hurt more than one person. That's pretty much the definition that's going around now. So what they found is in D.C. it's 10.43 per million. Louisiana is 4.23. Illinois is 3.61. Mississippi is 2.91. Now, what is interesting about that is the correlation that they found is that 27.3 were social-related mass shootings. Social-related. Think about going to a party, going to uh, someone gets pissed off at a party and they come back and shoot. 11.1% of those in this study were domestic violence related. So someone gets in a fight, a custody dispute, they come back and they shoot more than one person. 1.4% okay? were school or work related. And the rest, the 52% that were left, were not categorized. Now, if we're trying to stop the majority of mass shootings and it looks like that isn't what it makes the news. It's actually gang violence. It's actual violence. It's crime. Um, you're talking about blue on blue, not, not even blue on blue. You're talking about gang on gang violence is what they're basically saying for mass shootings. This is very telling. This tells us that what we've already known, but this study is actually produced by a university in Colorado. Colorado used to be kind of red, they're now very much a blue state. And to see that this comes out and it doesn't back up what they always say. The left likes to say that it's most uh, places with mass shootings or has an extreme case or the state that has extreme cases of gun crime usually are the ones with the least strictest gun rules. That's not the case. And this is one of many studies that bears out what we've all known on the right side of politics. And when I say the right side, the right, the reddish side, the Republican side, the libertarian side, the ANCAP side, those guys, us, us, usually the ones that are very much the single voters, uh, the single issue voters that we vote on freedom. We know this. We knew this a long time ago. You know, there's a reason why the assault weapons ban was allowed to sunset is because it had no effect on actual gun crime. And with the left right now trying to push that most kids or most young people are being uh, that are killed are killed with guns, which is absolutely false, 
what you find is that they've included 19-year-olds and 18-year-olds in that survey or in that um, set of data. That set of data shows that it's usually, if you just looked at 18 and 19-year-olds, the majority of that is of gun crime from those particular age groups is usually crime-related, um, followed by suicide. Now, why aren't we talking about what we can do to fix these things? You know, if crime is the problem, then why don't we start looking at actual crime, not looking at guns? Because it isn't a gun issue. Again, we all know this. We've talked about this. I talk about this at Infinim. It's always a mental health issue. And if you look at social economic issues, which is usually what is related to crime, um, look at downtown Chicago, you know, the south side of Chicago, there's not a lot of economic um, activity other than illegal, illicit crime that gets them to where they can make a decent living or a living enough to keep alive. That means that we need to fix that first. Then, the next thing I think we need to fix, and it's the elephant in the room that we keep dancing around, the left and the right do, is that there's a mental health issue. And, you know, I've mentioned this before time and time again, that if we took a time machine and we just went back five, maybe ten years... Would you see those headlines? Would you be able to explain to people the things that have happened in the last five or ten years that we locked down an entire world period over a virus that seems to have the effectiveness of a flu? Now, they're wanting to do that again. That's the other buzz thing that's going around on the interwebs right now is that they're looking at doing that same type of thing in November or December of this year because there's a new COVID variant called Eris and they don't know much about it other than it's very highly communicable. It doesn't mean that it's deadly. It just means it's very it spreads very easily, like a cold. Um, that said, it's probably worse than the cold. Um, anyone that had COVID, like I did, I had the Omni-Man, it wasn't very pleasant. But I survived. And I don't see why we shut down the world for something like that. That same type of mentality is what's being pushed in the 2A community. You know, how many things do we see where they come after us? They came after us for the bump stocks. They came after us for the uh, ghost guns, the receiver rule. They've came after us for the pistol brace rule. And we're having to fight like hell to keep our rights like we always have to. But it really doesn't make sense. And... I think the American populace, you know, when Colion Noir even comes out, and Colion Noir is usually very abreast of the situation in the 2A, and he comes out and he tells you that um, this is an issue that they're going to try to press, uh, specifically when they're trying to come after guns uh, to, and civilian disarmament. The reason why they're trying to do this is because an armed populace is going to say no. Um, if anything should ring alarm bells when the uh, the when NATO or the UN starts saying they need to disarm populaces, that should ring alarm bells. You know, it makes sense on the international community why you would disarm some countries to some degree because they're nothing but criminal enterprises. Um, the United States isn't. We're a free country. And whether you like it or not, this is part of the American identity. And I don't know that any American will comply anymore. You know, I, the pistol brace rule, the rate of compliance with it is somewhere below 4%. Um, 
Okay, and it depends on which survey you use and which data set you use to figure that out. But the rate of compliance in the United States from the 2A community is we're done. We've checked out. We no longer see a need for the ATF because the ATF is being an oppressive regime towards anyone in the 2A community. Now, why are we demonizing the ATF? Well, let's look at it. Today is, and this will drop tomorrow, so yesterday, that should be what you're going to hear, is the anniversary of Ruby Ridge. Okay. Now, if you don't know the story of Ruby Ridge, Ruby Ridge was an FBI mess-up where these guys had um, convinced a man to make sawed-off shotguns. Um, he made two, I believe, one or two, and they raided his house and they killed his wife and his child. This is one of those things in the 90s that it, when this happened, I think it happened in 92, um, that kind of galvanized our community and made us realize that the FBI and the ATF aren't our friends. Because what they did with this is this was a clear case of entrapment. They tried purposely for months to get this guy to do this illegal act. And he finally complied because he was tired of dealing with these supposed friends or these people that turned out to be FBI agents. What do we do to fix this? You know, every time I look at this stuff and I wonder, you know, are we winning? I still think we are. And the reason why I do is because they're trying really, really hard. Um, if you haven't paid attention, uh, Trump was able to post $200,000 bond. Um, he's supposed to report tomorrow to jail to get fingerprinted and all that other fun stuff. But it's already been accepted that he's going to post bond, which means he's going to get out. Now, that shouldn't be a surprise because the logistics of imprisoning a president, um, a former president, that has a security detail should tell you that there's no prison that is suitable in any state that would allow that to happen, okay? Uh, it, just the physical restrictions of what you would have to do to put a president with his security detail um, in a prison. I still believe that they're going to go really hard after the man, and it also is supposed to be that there's supposed to be presidential debates for the Republican side, Um Trump has opted out of that in favor of going to go have an interview with Tucker Carlson. Now, there's a lot of people right now that are advocating for anyone that is on the right side of the politics. And when I say this, the Republican side of politics, to drop out and all everyone back Biden, uh, not Biden, back Trump. Now, the idea here is that we back Trump, and if they do anything else against him, it shows that this is all weaponized against this man. Now, I understand that argument. I disagree with it. Um, I'm of the volition that the best person, whoever it is, should actually be debated, um, and they should get up there, and we should all get to see the results of the debate and kind of make our uh, determination then. Um, I'm not convinced that Trump is the guy that needs to run or needs to be the candidate against Biden. Um, I still am not sure that any one of them can win against Biden because there's enough people that are tired of Trump. You know, I'm not a never-Trumper. Um, there was a point in time I thought I was until I saw what the man was doing. And then to see as many people come out against him kind of pushed me in his direction. But I'm not a huge fan of the orange man. 
and that's because I see him as a very divisive influence in America, and the America we need now is more needs to be more unified, because we're going to be facing lots of things. You know, we're we're at that point in economics and with the situation we've had for the last five years, it's time to regalmanize our country back to being whole. And I think what's weird about this is that anyone in the 2A community, our community stays pretty whole. You know, we've we've expanded our community through the COVID stuff because we saw a lot of people woke up and realized that they were their own first responder and that they have to be able to defend and take care of themselves. That means our, ex- our community expanded. You know, that's why there's those stories going around where they're talking about people are lying on surveys to reflect that there's lower gun, gun ownership, but in reality, that's not the case because the sales have shown that there's higher amounts of gun ownership. That's because there's people in leftist cities like Chicago and other places that have bought firearms that aren't going to tell you they have them. And the reason why they're not going to tell you is because they're still trying to virtue signal and show on the outside that they're on that team. This is where I get that little bit of hope consistently, is that when the chips are thrown down and people have to show their cards, so to speak, if you're wanting the government to take away something that has a 60% acceptance, and that's what it looks like, um, you're not going to get it. What you're going to get are a lot of people that just simply aren't going to comply. You know, the more that the the FBI and that the federal government lose their, um, what do you call it? When people lose the confidence in those institutions, it takes power away from them. And that's what we need to do. We need to make all those institutions that are so powerful right now not powerful. How do you do it? You know, you we need to take those little wins we've seen in other places. You know, I mentioned the cannabis thing multiple times, but it looks like those guys won just by simple non-compliance. Well, it's time the American gun owners do the same thing. And I never thought that it would happen until the pistol brace stuff came out. When you saw basically mass non-compliance there, what are they going to do about it? They simply don't have enough people to go door-to-door. They're going to make examples. They are going to, and they have tried to right now. They are currently going after anybody that has an FFL that is uh, willing to fight. And why they're doing that is you take out the means that people can go and buy guns from or you, you attack their ammunition sources, um, you basically take the logistics out from behind the two-way and you make it to where you, the, no one can own one. And they're going hot and heavy after that. You know, the fact that California is trying to push the 27th Amendment and that they're for, formally, or they have formally filed it and the language is there for everyone to see, for other states to sign on and do stuff, which makes me nervous because New Mexico usually does what California does, and we usually get screwed in the process. However, this is one of those things that's going to have to come up to the roundhouse in New Mexico 
and it's going to have to come up to the Senate and the House and every other state that tries to adopt this. Because this is such a radical change, I don't see anyone signing on with it. At least if we make our voice heard. And that's what we need to do. So, I still say we're winning. Uh, you can look at this stuff and you can be a pessimist all you want and think that it's that the world's against you. Or you can be an optimist and know that there's still a shot. You just got to get ready to take your shot. And that's what we're doing now. Like, share, subscribe, be great.